Amen. Well, hey, it is truly an honor to be here. Like he said, uh, my name is Jordan, and uh, hi, Carrie. And I graduated in 2012, and uh, so I love my time here. I'm so happy for you guys that you get to be here. I met my wife here. We, we had three kids. I didn't bring a picture. I'm not ashamed of them. I just forgot. Um, and we live in Emporia now, and we really love it there. But the thing about Emporia is that, you know, kind of like Sterling, there's not a lot to do sometimes. You got to invent your own fun, especially when it's really cold outside. There's not a lot to do, right? So my wife has been getting me into Survivor lately. Is anybody like into Survivor? Dude, Survivor is a drug. If you don't want to be addicted, don't take that first hit because it will never release you. I had never heard of Survivor. Well, I had heard of it. I never like watched it until like two months ago. And now I'm like six seasons deep and like it's all I think about. And I, t- I think about immunity challenges like all the time. And it's, it's really unhealthy. Um, and the thing that I love most about Survivor is that you get to watch these people and you just get to make fun of how ugly and deceptive and dishonest they are. And you get to compare yourself to them. This is not what you wanna hear from the speaker on the stage. I understand that, but like, you're gonna compare yourself to them and how much better you are than them because, oh my gosh, they're so terrible. How could they do that? But the honest truth that I'm left with, like after every episode is that, you know, my heart isn't that different from theirs. Like my heart is just as messed up as theirs and your heart is just as messed up too. And the only reason that I'm seeing theirs is because they're on TV and they're competing for a million dollars. But left to my own heart and my own ways, Survivor would play itself out in my life the exact same way, right? Like I would do whatever it took to remain number one if I listened to what my heart told me. And this is backed up by Jeremiah 17, nine, right? It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and it's desperately wicked. How can we really know how bad it is? Now, let me ask you this question. If you had someone in your life who you knew to be very deceptive and you knew to be desperately wicked and you had no idea how bad they really were, would you listen to that person's advice? Would you, would you do what they say? Would you even be their friend? You absolutely would not. You would expel them from your life immediately. In fact, maybe you've had people like that and you have cut them out. Because we hate being lied to, we hate deception. A 2018 study from Psychology Today listed the number one reason that couples break up is because of deception or dishonesty, right? We, we hate being lied to. But here's the funny thing, guys. We have a lying heart and we listen to it all the time and we follow it all the time, even though we hate dishonesty, which makes no sense. Now, you might be sitting there, you might be thinking, okay, man, I don't know you. You didn't even include a picture of your kids, so you're obviously not a good guy. Like, your heart is obviously messed up, but my heart's good. Like, people say I'm a good person, I help people out. My aim is to do good for others. Like, I'm a good authority for myself. I can handle my business. And that that might be where you are, but here's the thing. Let me hit you with a question. Who has hurt you more than you? Who has sabotaged your happiness more than you have? Who has lied to you more than you? Because if you take a close look at yourself, you are not a good friend to yourself, right? You have made destructive decisions that have taken you places that you do not wanna be. And why? Because the heart inside of you is lying to you. It is evil, it is wicked. And when you listen to it, naturally, it's gonna take you places you didn't wanna be. I mean, think about it. Have you ever resolved to wake up early and run and then you listen to yourself in the morning and you talk yourself into sleeping in or or you resolve to eat or drink better, but by lunch, you've talked yourself into a Snickers, right? Or you've resolved to, to just maybe compromise one time on this one thing that's not that big of a deal. 
but your heart has talked you into compromise after compromise after compromise, and it's led you down a road that you never thought you would go down. And your heart is not good for you. And I'm here to tell you in love, because I love you, that you are not a good friend to yourself. And, and if, the truth is that if you deceived your friends the way that you deceive yourself, your friends, they would have kicked you to the curb a long time ago. The hard truth is this, that we are not capable of being our own authority in our lives. And we don't wanna hear that. I don't wanna hear that, right? But it's the absolute truth. The you do you movement, the follow your heart movement, these things are lies and they're really attractive lies because they sound liberating and they sound progressive. But the honest truth is that anybody who follows their heart, anybody who follows their own way is setting themselves up for heartache. And here's the deal. If you don't follow the Bible and you don't believe what scripture says, that's fine. Look at society. Your generation and mine, I'm old. I realize that we're not the same. Our generations are living in the most free nation in the history of the world. You and I have more choices today than anyone in human history ever. We have so much freedom. And yet addiction, independency, they run rampant through our, through, our, through our generations. Guys, we thought that the unbridled ability to follow our passions, to do whatever we wanted, would lead to this unprecedented happiness. But we were wrong. It hasn't led to that at all. It turns out that happiness is more than just a dopamine rush. The truth is that fulfilling your deepest desires doesn't actually satisfy you because the human need for more is never satisfied, right? You've lived that, you know it. The human need for more, it's never satisfied and human desire never stays the same. It always gets bigger. No matter what you're feeding it, human desire always gets bigger. It never ever stays the same. Here's the really tough truth, is that we need an authority outside of ourselves. We need a good authority that is worthy of leading us, that we can trust with our flourishing, that is looking out for us because I know that my heart is not up to the task. And I believe what the Bible says, that your heart is not up to the task either. So if you're a Jesus follower here, I wanna remind you of something today. And if you don't put yourself in that Christian category, I wanna convince you of the same thing by God's spirit. And here it is, that there is exactly one who is worthy of running your life. That there is exactly one who has your best in mind. And there is exactly one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And that one person is not you. That one person is Jesus. I'm talking about the good authority of Jesus. And I know that word authority carries a lot of baggage. And I know the last thing you wanna do is put yourself under someone else's authority because we've been under bad authority. Every single person in this room has been under bad authority and been burned by it. And when I say bad authority, I'm talking about authority that looks out for its own good at your expense, right? We've all been there. The kind of authority that looks to hold you down while it elevates itself. We've all been there and it's hard to put our trust in someone else. Your generation and mine are also the two most distrusting generations in the history of statistics, right? So it's tough, I get it. But here's the thing, when you sign up to, to live under the authority of Jesus, you've gotta know that that's not his authority, that he's not like that. First Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your cares and worries to him for he cares for you. This is the authority of Jesus. This is what he's talking about. 
Is this the kind of authority that you can operate under? One that, one that promises to... Uh, one that promises to take care of you, one that promises to elevate you at the right time, not to hold you down, but to lift you up, one that actually takes your cares and concerns into the equation. Have you ever been under leadership that took your cares and concerns into the equation? It's a good feeling. That is the authority of Jesus. And if, you're, you're, if you follow Jesus, you know that this is true. You know this has been your experience. And, and the weird thing is when you follow Jesus, you actually really start to love being under his authority. I know that if you're outside of Christianity and you're looking in, you're like, what? That makes no sense. But the more you follow Jesus, the more you actually love being under his authority. But that's weird because we never hear anybody say, man, I love authority. Authority is beautiful. No one has ever said that. Oh, authority is so good. I love being told what to do. It's the best, right? Oh, work was so awesome last night. What, did your boss let you go early? No, he never stopped bossing me around the whole time. It was great. Like, that conversation has never happened because the world's idea of freedom is an absence of authority. That's what the world says freedom is. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that his authority is actually a beautiful thing. It was put in place by God for your good and his glory. But Isaiah 5.20 says that the world will call what is evil good and what is good evil, Right? In the world, because it's following its own wisdom and not God's wisdom, uh, has confused these things, right? It, it mixes these things up. It, it takes something good and it maligns and it calls it evil and it elevates things that are evil and not good for us. It's so confused on this thing, right? It's kind of like how there are roughly eight and a half million people in the U.S. who identify as cowboy fans, right? Like they've taken this evil thing, they have elevated it, they are blind, we're gonna have a special healing for you if you're a cowboy fan later. I was gonna do a chief joke, but it's still too soon for that. So I, I, I feel for you guys on that one. Guys, Satan has been lying to us about good and evil ever since that fall in the garden, right? And we're still falling for his lies today. He has placed a seed of distrust in all our minds, the seed that says, hey, don't trust authority. They're not looking out for you. Hey, true freedom is what you need. And that looks like autonomy. That looks like independence. Throw off any authority people put on you. It's not good for you. This is the seed that is growing in our minds. And guys, this sets us up for what I really wanna to talk to you about today. This is the point that I'm getting to. It's Matthew's reaction to Jesus calling him to follow him and Matthew 9. So if you have your Bible, you wanna watch on the screen, Matthew 9, 9, it's very short, but this is where I wanna be. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now you're thinking, dude, you get to, you get to speak at Sterling College. This is the verse you bring us. This is the most like Sunday school, basic, simple verse ever. It is a very simple verse, but here's the thing. It is absolutely dripping with context. There is a ton of stuff happening here off screen that we don't see. And so what I wanna do is clue us all in, get us on the same page, because when you see what's really happening, this is really powerful. When I understood what was really happening in this verse, I mean, it changed the way I followed Jesus. It made it so appealing. So I have to share it with you today. Here's a few things we need to know. Okay, first of all, when Jesus says, follow me to Matthew, he's not talking about, hey, come around the corner. Uh, there's something really cool over here I wanna show you. Um, and then go back to your tax collector's booth. That's not what he's saying. When he says, follow me, it is a life change. Hey, quit what you're doing and be with me until we're not. Like, it's a, it's a life shift. Just a few chapters earlier, we see Jesus following, or not following, calling the fishermen to follow. And they leave their nets and they go with him. And there was this understanding that this isn't a day trip, right? This isn't a field trip to see what Jesus' life is like for a day. 
We are dropping this. We are doing this new thing. So when he calls you to follow, it is a life shift. It is a big, big deal. Here's the second thing we need to understand. Matthew has a very lucrative job, right? He is a tax collector for the Roman government. He is a Jew working for his oppressors. So he gets security from the government in this. He gets money. He has some level of authority over his people. He's living a good life. Here's the other side of the coin. He stands to lose a lot if he loses this job because like I said, he's working for the Romans. He is taking money out of his ethnic group's pockets and putting it in the pockets of their oppressors. He is a traitor to his people in the most literal sense. And he's not even an honest traitor because when he does that, he takes a little extra for himself and everybody knows it. It's blatant. He is ripping off his own people. So if he loses this security net of a job and he is suddenly homeless on the street, this Jesus thing doesn't work out, nobody is coming to rescue this guy. Nobody is coming to feed this guy. They would love to point and laugh at him as he is destitute on the side of the road. They would love nothing more. So for Matthew to leave this safety net of a job and follow this guy he's never met is a leap of faith to say like the absolute least, right? Do are we starting to understand what's going on here? But given all this, like I have more questions than before because I mean, Matthew, he just doesn't even think about this. He doesn't even consider any of this. He shows no hesitation. I mean, my daughter fights me more to put on jeans than Matthew does to give his life away to somebody he's never met, right? Like, what is the deal? What is going on here? Well, can I share with you guys why I think Matthew gave away his life so easily? Because when you read this in Sunday school, you don't ask the question, but to really think through culturally what's going on, there's a lot happening. Well, here's the deal. Here's why I think Matthew did it so easily. In the verses leading up to this, Jesus is displaying his authority in a really, really powerful way, okay? Back in chapter eight, verse three, he heals this guy with leprosy. It's this, this ugly skin disease, right? Okay, he does that. Verse 13, he heals a man who is paralyzed from a distance, like long distance range. This Roman soldier comes up to him. He says, hey, my servant is paralyzed. I need you to heal him. I have faith you can do it. He's not with me, he's back at home in bed. And Jesus says, okay, that guy you're talking about, I can't see him, but just trust me, he's healed, right? Long distance healing, okay? Now word is starting to get out. Do you see what this guy is doing? Verses 14 through 17, Jesus goes full Oprah. You get a healing, you get a healing, you get a healing, right? Like people are coming in droves, they are diseased, they are, they are sick. And he is just boom, 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 boom. In mass, they are leaving, rejoicing, healed, right? So word is really starting to spread. Man, did you see this guy? Did you see what he's doing? The crowds are building. So Jesus retreats with his disciples. They go out on their boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus falls asleep. He wakes up to a storm and he commands the storm with his words. He shows authority over the winds and the waves. And it stops immediately. What? They get to the other side of the lake. These two guys approach them who are demon-possessed. They approach these guys. Jesus doesn't say a word, and the demons inside these guys know who Jesus is, and they're terrified. They immediately begin begging for their lives. Jesus, please, please, please don't kill us. Just throw us out of your sight. And so Jesus, Jesus releases these men from these demons and throws it into a, a herd of pigs, right? Like this guy shows up, doesn't say a word, and the demons are afraid. But here's the crescendo, because in chapter nine, verse two, he heals, a, uh, he heals a man's sinful heart. He takes away his sin with his words. At this point, you had to go to the temple. You had to do these things. You had to give the sacrifice. You had to be right with God on your own accord. Jesus speaks it into existence. This has never been done in front of these people. This guy just, just forgave sin with his words. Now, guys, lots of people talk. 
but don't really have the ability to do anything, right? Like we all know somebody like that who's a big talker, they'd never come through. Like Paul's been sending me gifts about how he's gonna crush me in one-on-one all week. I don't buy it. Like it's all talk. You have three kids, Paul, okay? So I have three kids too, but you're one year older, so. So people, they talk, but nothing happens. Guys, that's not Jesus. Jesus shows up and things just start to happen. This guy oozes authority. So we know the energy that is surrounding Jesus. He starts to approach Matthew. He's in the street. You can imagine the people on the sides of the road, they're whispering, dude, that's the guy. That's the guy who healed the leprosy. Okay, forget that. Did you hear about the weather? Okay, dude, forget that. He forgave sin and this, this energy is building around him. And Matthew is a part of this. He has heard these stories. He knows what's going on. He recognizes the energy around Jesus. And so Jesus is walking down the street. He makes eye contact with Matthew. And he says, hey, there's an open spot on the team. It's yours if you want it. Come follow me. Think about everything Matthew knew and what was going through his mind at that point. And suddenly, no hesitation makes sense. Do you think that he sat there and, and made a list of pros and cons? Like, okay, I could, but no. Man, I think he peed a little and quit his job as fast as he could. Like, this was the most exciting thing to ever, ever happen to him. There was no hesitation. And, and why would there be, right? When you see what this guy is capable of, what is the greater risk, going with him or missing out? The same question exists for us today, guys. We see people follow Jesus. We're like, man, how do you drop everything and follow Jesus? And a Jesus follower can respond, man, how do you see what Jesus is capable of and not do that? When you know his power, when you know his authority, how do you stay at home? So often for us submitting to Jesus, it's a have-to conversation that we have with ourselves, right? Right? Jesus, do I have to? Do I, do I really have to give up my lifestyle? Do I have to stop partying? Do I, do I have to change my priorities? Do I have to move my agenda around for you? Do I have to change some of my opinions? Do I have to leave some of my prejudice at the door? Matthew had great reason to ask all these questions, but he asked none of them, right? Because this was not a have-to situation for Matthew. This was the biggest get-to situation he'd ever been a part of. He got to follow the one that controlled it all. He got to be on his team. And he made the right choice because anything Matthew could have planned for his own life would have paled in comparison to what Jesus had for him when he followed him, right? And the same is true for you. Think about that. Um, do you really think that you can plan a better story for your life than the creator of the universe, right? The one who created and designed the greatest storytellers of our time, right? Tolkien, Shakespeare, Lewis, Dickens, Twain, Steinbeck, Hemingway. This guy created these storytellers and you don't trust him to write your story? You wanna hold the pen instead of God for your own story when you see what he's done? There's no way. There's just no way that's true. Guys, sometimes a hurdle in our decision to follow Jesus is that, you know, maybe we're gonna end up somewhere scary or maybe we're gonna have to do something really hard or maybe, maybe we're gonna do something that's, that's not safe. And I wanna say this to you today because this is big. Regardless of your circumstances, the safest place you can be is right in the middle of God's will. Let me say that one more time. Regardless of your life circumstances, wherever he calls you, the very safest place you can be is right where he wants you, right in the middle of his will. That means it's potentially more dangerous for you to be at home on the couch than it is for you to be serving on the mission field in Libya if that's where God wants you. Because the safest place for you is right where he has you, right in the middle of his will. 
And students, he is qualified to make these claims because he is the good father of Matthew 7 who knows exactly what his children need, right? He is the good shepherd of Psalm 23 who will always protect his flock. He is the rock of Psalm 18 that we hold to when things don't make sense and he will never move. He will never, ever be shaken. But guys, too often as believers, we view living under the authority of Jesus as some sort of trade-off for heaven, right? If you follow Jesus, it's, it's, it's a temptation sometimes to view submitting to his authority as this kind of spiritual quid pro quo, right? Okay, Jesus, I'll live under your authority. I'll do what you want on earth as long as I get spiritual or as long as I get eternal uh, glory in heaven, right? I'll make that trade with you. And I just gotta tell you, if that's where you're at today, man, you don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. If that's where you're at, you're living a knockoff. You are missing the real deal because the Christian life is not about rules. It is not about regulations. It is not full of have-tos. And I know from the outside, that's exactly what it looks like. But talk to anybody on the inside. Talk to anybody who's met Jesus. That's not what Christianity is. Saying yes to Jesus means following a God who has created you specifically for a purpose that he has laid out for you, right? He, he created you a specific way for a purpose he's already ordained for you. It means he has promised to work all things for your good, Romans 8, 28. That means that even the crappy situations in your life don't have to stay crappy. They are making you into a, uh, they're making you into a better situation. It is there for your good. It means that he has promised to be with you no matter what, Isaiah 43, 2, no matter how bad it gets, he will not leave you. Do you see, do you see that he is good? Do you see that his authority is good? I mean, what do you have to fear when you are with the one that demons are afraid of, right? This guy shows up and demons are shrieking and running from him and you're gonna be on his team. What do you have to fear when you're with the guy who controls weather? Are you really gonna sit there and tell me that Jesus can handle the weather, but he can't handle some situation in your life? That's just not possible. This kind of authority that Jesus wields, it calls for immediate and total surrender. God, I don't wanna be in charge of my life for one more minute. God, I need you in the driver's seat. This kind of authority should result in a lifestyle marked by freedom and joy that is obvious to those around us. But believers, believers in the crowd, can I have your ear for a second? Because here's the thing. Part of the reason the unbelievers in our lives aren't buying what we're selling is because uh, we talk a good game, but we don't live it. We talk about the authority of Jesus. We claim to have the new life that he gives, but then we simply make our life about avoiding sin. And we call it Christianity. And guys, here's the deal. One, Jesus didn't call us to that. He called us to something so much more. And number two, that is not appealing to anyone on the outside. We've become wrapped up in saying a prayer and doing our best not to sin but that's not what our life is supposed to be about. When we live like this, we have forgotten who our dad is. We've forget, forgotten who our author is, who's writing our story, and that there's so much more out there for us if we'll just submit to his way. Students, kingdom growth on this campus is not gonna be accomplished by words spoken in chapel. 
It's gonna be accomplished by the lives of Jesus followers outside these walls, okay? It doesn't matter what kind of name you bring in. Certainly bigger people than me. None of you even know who I am. You can bring in the biggest name. Words spoken in chapel aren't gonna accomplish kingdom growth and transformation on this campus. It's Jesus followers living this way under Jesus outside of these walls. Very last thing before we go. If you're not a Jesus follower, would you just listen to me for a second? Because I, I have a question I really want to stick with you today. If you're not a Jesus follower, are you tired of leading yourself? Are you tired of calling your own shots? Are you tired of always being the sole person responsible for your peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment? Because that's a lot to bear every single day when you're the one calling the shots and it's totally up to you. Guys, I had, a, I had the privilege recently of leading a young man to Christ and uh, we were walking out to his car afterwards and he said to me, hey, you know, I never thought about it like this before, uh, but I'm so glad I don't have to lead myself anymore. I'm so glad that I have a good leader right now. And I never thought about that, but, but that's at the heart of what this is. Because following Jesus, it's, it's not some have to. It's not something you gotta be talked into or convinced of. It's a get to thing. You get to be under the leadership of one who made you, who cares about you and has the authority to shape your life just the way that he made it to. He is a good authority. He has your best in mind. I'm telling you guys, he is not about rules. He is not about control. He is not about taking advantage of you because that's what we think of with authority because that's what we know from the world. But I'm telling you that he's different. He is about your flourishing. He is about you operating the way you were made to at full capacity. And getting to know him is what you were made for. And so as we lead from, lead from this place, I just wanna leave you with this idea. And I would hate for anyone to walk one more step thinking that following Jesus is a have-to thing. We get to follow him. We get to see what he's capable of. We get to know the story he's written. And it is a privilege and an adventure to follow Jesus if you're doing it the way that, that you're supposed to. Guys, if you, if you don't know Jesus and anything that I said piqued your interest today, even just one thing, I, I plead with you, I challenge you to have a conversation with someone about it outside of this. Don't let it go till tomorrow because you'll forget about it and get busy. Today, if anything grabbed your attention, not by my words, but by God's spirit. Man, have a conversation with somebody. Ask a question to somebody and just see where God takes it. I mean, what do you have to lose, right? Because he is a good authority and he is worth following. Let me pray for us and, and we'll wrap up. God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you that he is good. Thank you that he gave selflessly. He is the ultimate servant leader and that his leadership is, is what I need and he's so worthy of it. God, I pray for believers in here that we would not get stuck in this this cycle of like just trying not to sin, but we would live fully in you. We'd fully embrace your authority because it is a good thing. And God, for anyone who hasn't committed to follow you, that you would show them how good you are, that by your spirit, you would create curiosity in their hearts so that they could one day see how beautiful your authority is, how beautiful you are, and what life under you looks like. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks for what you've done here today. And we just ask that your name be glorified. It's in your son's name we pray all these things. Amen.